Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on our last podcast, Deborah, Gabe, and I finished discussing up through chapter 34. Now, what we focused on in that program was on the relationship between Jewel and Jim. We also had discussed Marlowe's talk with Jewel, and uh, remember it was kind of an intense talk. Um, she kept wondering what was going on, why was Jim, and what was he holding back from her, and uh, you know, what was wrong with the outside world, why they didn't like Jim, and uh, uh, Marlowe just was honest and said he wasn't good enough. And so Jewel, Jewel said, you're lying, you know. He's, he's good enough. And so uh, that's, that's a really interesting conversation. Now, she did not like uh, what Marlo had to say, and um, uh, she just thought Jim was very good, good for her and good for Pettison. Now, we also discussed Cornelius's hatred for Jim, and it really is, uh, it, it's there. And um, we, we do... We, uh, we do see that, that Marlowe really, really suspected Cornelius, and then today we're going to find out that, that he actually backs off that somewhat, and uh, much to his uh, probably dismay as well. Now, uh, again, we just said last time that Marlowe saw Cornelius as a real, th- a th- real threat to Jim, but um, uh, again, he changes his he changes his mind in this chapter, but then obviously when we get into the next, the, the final chapters, we realize that Cornelius was definitely a real threat to him. So I just want you to remember now we're on fast track to complete our discussion of this incredible book, and hopefully we will be completely done by the first week in October. And that's what I'm shooting for. Whether we make it or not, I'm not sure. But today what I want to do is I want to begin with chapter 35 and move up through chapter 39 at least. If we can get a little further than that, we can. The next program, we would uh, hopefully be able to start at chapter 40. So uh, we'll see how far we get today. Now, as we move through these final chapters, and uh, really we're, we're really on the last, well, probably 15 chapters and they, they one of the things is that Conrad does he makes them much shorter so you can get through them faster but what I want to do is just give you highlights so that so that you will actually read the whole chapter yourself but I'll just tell you what I think are the highlights of the chapter so that we can we can uh, move move through this now neither Gabe or Deborah can be with me in the studio today we are approaching fall break there's a lot going on at the college uh, you know our our uh, fall festival is coming up, so my wife's home getting ready to get us out of town, and so, so there's a lot going on. However, Parker, who is always eager to help, is producing the program today, and uh, he is uh, he's in here with me. He doesn't have a mic, so he won't be able to say anything, but he knows it would be far too dangerous for me to tape myself, <laughs> and so, so he's in there helping me. All right, so... 
So today, let's uh, let's start with chapter thirty-five. And again, I'm just going to go through and give you give you some highlights. Um, the, the the big thing about this chapter uh, chapter that you want to get in your mind is that essentially Marlowe is telling his listeners about the day he parted company with Jim. And uh, this, in other words, uh, he was on the island of Patterson with Jim for some time. But then it was time for him to come back to the outside world, as he discusses quite a bit in this chapter. So, um, you know, it, it, uh, you really need to read and understand this chapter because, you know, um, I, would, I would really say that, that uh, both men struggled. I mean, again, I know they're fictional characters, but the way, the way Conrad writes it is these two men really didn't want to part from each other. You know, they, they, they really, Jim knew that Conrad, or I should say Marlowe, really was helping him. And then Marlowe was just absolutely over the moon with the success he was having on this island. So, uh, you know, one of, one of the things that Marlowe does tell his listeners is that, uh, that Jim actually accompanied him on his first stage of his journey back to the world Jim had renounced. And so, so it's pretty clear in Marlowe's mind that he's, he's leaving, that, that Jim has no desire to come back to, well, his world or the outside world. And uh, you, can, you can find some statements like that on page 251. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it really is kind of a bittersweet. It's, it's really a bittersweet party. And uh, maybe I could just read a little bit down here at the bottom of page 251. It says, Jim, as I told you, accompanied me on the first stage of my journey back to the world he had renounced. And the way at times seemed to lead through the very heart of untouched wilderness. The empty reaches sparkled under the high sun between the walls of vegetation. The heat drowsed upon the water and the boat impelled vigorously cut her way through the air that seemed to have settled dense and warm under the shelter of lofty trees. So, so the, the thing is, there's, uh, this is really Conrad at his best. He's, he's talking about as he's leaving, he sees the environment and he's in the environment and uh, you know, he's just really enjoying this, this pleasant um, trip down the river, by the way, to the sea. Now, there really are, I, I would say, three really important things in this chapter that we we need to uh, realize. And the first is that, uh, you know, previously, if we go all the way back to chapter 17, Marlowe, uh, uh, you know, he's always musing, he's always into his philosophy and, his, and uh, you know, he believes in fate. But uh, uh, in chapter 17, he mused that a person's fate is carved in stone. And of course, he believed that Jim would be no exception and that, that uh, he, he just believed that something fateful was going to happen to Jim, and and he he held on to that, and he really believed as he as he's going down the river, he's thinking about this that Cornelius would really play a negative part in that fate, and so so if, if you remember back to previous chapters that we talked to you about is is uh, you know Marlowe brings out Cornelius's character and and uh, you know he, he puts it out right out in front and uh, you know. Uh, Marla was very concerned about it, and we know that Jim wasn't. Jim just didn't think it was a threat at all. And uh, you know, as we go on through this, these these last chapters, you're going to see that he paid a, he played a very big part. Uh, you know, in what was going to happen. Now, it's it is kind of interesting here. 
Um, and this whole idea of faith is going to come back up again and again before we get through to the book. But because of his opportunity to observe Jim on Pattison, Marlowe now changes his mind that Jim has a second chance. In other words, maybe it's not going to be end up so faithful. Faithful, maybe because he's doing such a wonderful job on Pattison that you know maybe he has really mastered his fate. Maybe it's done. Maybe he's not going to die. You know that kind of thing. And so, so uh, uh, we'll see as we go on that that's that's just not true at all. All right. The the other thing I think um, that is um, really interesting here is again Marlowe. Remember now he's got he supposedly has this whole crowd of guys, other guys listening to him, and Marlowe begins to reflect on the two worlds that have shaped Jim's life. So there is the outside world, or we could say the world of the Patna, or and now there's the world of Patison, and uh, you know Marlowe starts you know thinking, and this is as they're going down down the river. Well, the outside world rejected him, but he knows that Patison wants him or at least most of the people on Pattison want him. And so, so that begins to, to really um, you know, help Jim come, come away from what happened with the Patna. And uh, that's why Jim wants to be there. You know, he knows they need him. He says, uh, he, he says the outside world does not need him, but Pattison does. And then he says, Jim needs Pattison, and he has renounced the outside world. And so, so the, the, the thing is, 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 you know, Conrad himself really thinks deeply about so many things. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of us have come from two different worlds. You know, a lot of us have been affected by one world or another world. And I know I first experienced that when I graduated from my master's program where I was a city boy, grew up in, in uh, you know, not necessarily large cities. Grew up near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'd been, uh, I traveled, you know, some to some of the bigger cities, and I ended up in Pendleton, Oregon, <laughs> with my first job. And that was like living in two worlds. And I remember, you know, walking down Main Street with my little um, uh, Irish cap and my long coat, my uh, trench coat, <laughs> and I was walking beside cowboys and Indians. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I kind of stuck out. And so, uh, but anyway, so, so, but, but uh, that's what Marlowe is saying there. You know, there's, there are different phases in our lives. Now, it, it, it is interesting, again, what, what, uh, what Marlowe brings out here. This is on, um, uh, on their trip down the river. This is page 253 is, and this is what really gets Marlowe thinking that, you know, Jim has a second chance is, uh, you know, uh, if you remember all the way back to the beginning of the book, there's the, there's the, the fishing village, and these people were, uh, in, you know, they were actually slaves to the Raja, and uh, he really, really manipulated those people. It says, um, uh, as they, essentially, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm doing what Conrad does to us. I'm going further ahead in the story, and then I'm going to come back. <laughs> so, so, but anyway, once they actually get down to the, to the sea, there's obviously something going on in the fishing village that needs help. And these, uh, these two um, fishermen, and again, you know, they're very poor people. They, they uh, only have, you know, their native dress on. They're, they're always bare-chested, and they come seeking Jim. 
and and uh, uh, they encounter these men at the fishing village, and they they go right to Tuan Jim, as they would say. This is their leader. This is their head. This is the man that solves their problems, and uh, you know they go to him to speak to him. But yet, yet Jim, uh, he he really does. He shows that he loves them, but he says, "Look, you need to wait. I, I, I'll talk to you a little bit about this later." And so, so because Jim is actually having this encounter with Marlowe as they're leaving. I mean, he's he's has to part with Marlowe. He doesn't want to part with Marlowe. I don't think Marlowe wants to part with Jim. But these these two men hold su- such great respect for Jim that they just go, you know, about 20 feet away, and they sit on their haunches waiting. They're not going to go anywhere until, you know, until, you know, um, he can help them. He, he says... Um, uh, this is what it says on page 253. It says, This bunch of miserable hovels was the fishing village that boasted of the white lord's special protection. And the two men crossing over were the, were the old headman and his son-in-law. They had landed and, and walked up to us on the white sand, lean, dark brown, as if dried in smoke, with ashy patches on the skin of their naked shoulders and breasts. Their heads were bound in, bound in dirty but carefully folded handkerchiefs, and the old man began at once to state a complaint. Voluble, stretching a lank arm, screwing up at Jim his old bearded eyes confidently. Obviously, the Rogers people would not leave them alone. There had been some trouble about a lot of, of uh, turtles' eggs as people had collected on the islets there, and leaning in at arm's length with upon his paddle, he pointed with a brown skinny hand over the sea. Now, again, this is where Jim listened for a while, and he says, Look, I can't take care of this right now. You know, if you just wait, I'll get back to you. And so, so uh, uh, that, that's that's really a great scene. But that really helps convince Marlowe that Jim is really doing a great job, and you know he belongs here. Now, the other thing I think it's interesting is is uh, Marlowe does recognize though that Jim still has a call to the sea. You know that if you remember, we've been talking a lot about him being a romantic hero. Well, you know he he just wanted to be a sailor. All of his life, so he still has that that call to him. And uh, this is on page two fifty two when they're getting they're, they're getting almost to the end of the river, and the sea pops out at them. It, it, uh, this is what Marlowe says: "I breathed deeply. I reveled in the vastness of the open horizon and the different atmosphere that seemed to vibrate with the toil of life, with the energy of an impeccable world. The sky and the sea were open to me. The girl was right." There was a sign, a call in them, something to which I had responded with every fiber of my being. And if you remember back, if you've read the book, each chapter, and not just skipped ahead and listened to me, you know that the jewel believed that he still had a call to the sea, and she was afraid he was going to leave her because he wanted to go to the sea. And Jim kept telling her, no, I'm not leaving you, I'm not leaving you, I'm not leaving you. So there they are together. And what he does, he screams out, this is glorious, I cried, and then I looked at the, the sinner by my side. So he's talking, about, <laughs> he's talking about Jim. He sat with his head sunk on his breast and said, yes, without raising his eyes, as if afraid to see writ large on the clear sky of the offing the reproach of his romantic conscience. And so it's like his own mind was telling him, you idiot. This is what's calling you. You know, the sea. The sea is what's calling you. So, so I think that's all all very interesting and important. And uh, 
but the big thing is Marlowe recognizes that Jim holds great care for the people uh, that the Raja once enslaved, and Jim changed all of it. They do not have to worry about being slaves to him, and yet some of the older men in the village still can't get through it. They have to get past it. They haven't gotten past it yet, but but uh, Jim Jim really really did uh, you know, help save all that. All right. So the second point, uh, again, I, we just uh, covered it here, is both worlds still call him. You know, he's still he's still caught. You know, and and uh, you know sometimes there are problems we have in our life that we just are going to die with them. You know, they're just going to be there all the time, and uh, that's why I think uh, Conrad is so good on human nature. And so so Marlo Marlo does that that big thing, and I think in some ways he he. Uh, he felt bad that he did that. All right. Now, the third important thing is that um, uh, even though Jim is intensely loyal to Patterson and Jewel, Jim really does have great difficulty seeing Marlowe leave. You know, he wishes Marlowe could stay. And in, and in many ways, that's just, uh, uh, I think you could say it's, it's, it's he wants to hold on to the outside world. You know, he, he uh, in some ways he had wanted to escape his past, but now I think, um, uh, you know, he's realizing that, uh, you know, he may never see him again. This is on page 254. I'll go right into the middle of the page. Um, uh, they were talking about, you know, that he's going to, he, uh, even um, Marlowe says to him about the, the two fishermen, you really, you really helped them. And he said, yes, I helped them. I have to continue to help them. And uh, even even uh, Jim realizes that he still has to work with these people. They, they still cannot get over that they're not slaves. And so he's still working with them. And uh, so Jim gets a little frustrated because, um, you know, Marlo, you know, tries to give him a little different viewpoint. And he says, no, tomorrow I'm going to go back up to Toulong, to, to Tanku Along's house, I'm going to drink the coffee, I'm going to make no end of fuss over these rotten turtle eggs. And uh, uh, he says, no, I can't say enough. Never, I must, never, never. I must go on, go on forever, holding up my end to feel sure that nothing can touch me. I must stick to their belief in me to feel safe to, to, he cast about for a word, seemed to look for it on the sea, to keep it in touch with his voice sank suddenly to a murmur with those whom perhaps I shall never see anymore with with you for instance and so so he's he's uh, feeling regrets already that um, you know uh, Marlowe is leaving and then Marlowe says I was proudly profoundly humbled by his words he said uh, I, I said don't just set me up dear fellow just look to yourself I felt a gratitude and affection for that straggler whose eyes had singled me out, keeping my place in the ranks of an insignificant multitude. And so, so that really moves um, uh, Marlowe. All right. That, uh, that Jim would say, I may not see you again. And of course, uh, as we get towards the end of the story, um, you will learn that uh, that is the last day he saw Jim alive. All right, at the very end of the chapter, I just want to read just a little part here. Um, as he gets on his ship and he leaves, uh, Jim stays on the beach 
waiting to say goodbye. I mean, he he watches him, you know, go off into the to the sunset. He says, uh, "This is the way." Uh, Marlowe ends the chapter. He says, For me, uh, that white figure in the stillness of coast and sea seemed to stand at the heart of a vast enigma. And so so that's definitely Conrad. He's saying this is an enigma. But it's almost like Jim is like this tiny white speck in the darkness. And then he says at the very end, and suddenly I lost him. And so, of course, that's all, you know, that all good foreshadowing. Uh, you know about what's going to happen with Jim. So, hopefully, no one uh, is uh, upset with the fact that Jim is going to die. But Marlowe just doesn't tell us how until <laughs> until the last couple chapters. All right. So, chapter thirty-six. Uh, uh, this is a. I think it's a unique chapter in the book, and it's it's one of those genius moves I think by a great writer. And essentially, in chapter thirty-six. What Marlowe does is he ends his narrative. That's it. Story's over. I mean, this is what he does with the people on the veranda. And he says, with these words, Marlowe had ended his narrative. This is page 256. And his audience had broken up for with under his abstract, pensive gaze. Men drifted off the veranda in pairs or alone, without loss of time, without suffering remark, as if the last image of that incomplete story, its incompleteness itself, and the very tone of the speaker had made discussion vain and comment impossible. Each of them seemed to carry away his own impression, to carry it away with him like a secret, but there was only one man of all these listeners who was ever to hear the last word of the story. So when I read this chapter, I thought, this is just amazing, that this is, this is, this is the, uh, the craft of a great writer. I mean, we still have, what, nine chapters to go? in the book and it's like he ends the story <laughs> he doesn't tell us what happens and essentially what it means is you got to read the rest of the book you know you can't he's just not going to tell it to you you got to work for it a little bit i guess so uh um anyway uh marlo abruptly ends his narrative uh he he ends it with with his exit from the from patterson he leaves his listeners deep in thought and uh, but all of them they understand Jim's story is complete. All right. So when I read this the first time, I thought, what is he doing here? Then if you go on, he says uh, in the chapter it says two years later, two years after this night, he sends a packet of information to one of the listeners. Now it's interesting. He doesn't give us his name either. So he said. Uh, um, it was two years later, and it came. It, it said it came to him at home more than two years later, and it came contained in a thick packet, addressed in Marlowe's upright and angular handwriting. So this this character is referred to as the privileged man. We don't know what his name is, and then the, the uh, paragraph goes on. The privileged man opened the packet, looked in, and then laying it down, went to the window. His rooms were in the highest flat of a lofty building, and his glance could travel far beyond the clear planes of glass, as though he were looking out of the lantern of a lighthouse. So obviously, when you when you read some of this, this guy must have always so been a seaman, and you know he's probably a Marlowe buddy, and so so he obviously the the reason why he sent the package, and Marlowe does explain it, is because 
he was very, very interested in the story of Jim. And so, so he gets the, he, he gets the, the, the final written account of the end of Jim's tale. Now, I think, uh, again, I'm going to you know, just insist that you read this chapter yourself. But let me just give you a clue of what's inside this envelope. All right. First thing inside the envelope is a gray sheet of paper written in Jim's hand. And Marlowe calls it the last message from Jim to the outside world. And it states just two things. All right. And the two things are something bad's happened. And I'm not going to tell you the other one because I want you to read it. <laughs> I want you to find out what it says. All right. Now, there is also, there's an old yellowed letter from Jim's father to him, to Jim, and it's dated before the Patna affair. And in this letter, his father extols uh, how to be faithful and how to have virtue. And so he's, it's like teaching from dad how to have, have faithfulness and virtue. All right, then there's another, there's a, there's a large collection of pin pages that give the details of the end of Jim's story. And so, so uh, that's all, that's basically about all there is to chapter, chapter 36. All right, so, so uh, following Con Conrad's skill now, um, he begins the, uh, the, the story in chapter 37. So you have to, you have to get through all of 36. And, uh, but it, it, it is really good writing, and you don't want to miss it because it does reveal a little bit more than what I did. I want to just pique your interest so you just challenge yourself to read that. Okay. Chapter 37. Um, it's uh, Marlowe introduces the scoundrel Brown. This is the way I, I look at it. And so... So it's essentially what uh, this chapter is all about is this chapter continues with Marlowe's letter. Now, um, and it's, remember this letter is to this unnamed privileged man. And essentially, essentially what, what Marlowe does with this chapter, he sets the mystery that will be revealed in the last several chapters. And so, so again, it's like, it's all there to prep us for, um, you know, wanting to read the end of the book. And, and I think even, if you remember now, when Conrad first published this book, it was a series of short stories that had been published over weeks. And so, so you can imagine if you're, if you're reading this, you know, and you keep, you know, you're, you're kind of left with a cliffhanger after every, every issue, and then you're waiting for the next issue, you can see he's, he's actually playing with people's minds saying, hey, you know, I'll tell you a little bit, but you got to wait till the next one. Obviously, he was making money by the next one too. So, so it is. It is really. I mean, um, it, really, it really is interesting. And and um, you know, Herman Melville did the same thing. You know, that all those guys, uh, Dickinson, they all, all of their works first ended up in newspapers. So they they wanted to sell newspapers. So they made some money. So so essentially, this is just a continuation of the letter. But 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 my. my, my what Marlowe tells us about is that, you know, he, he, one thing we have to accept, even by chapter 37, Jim is already dead. We just don't know how it happened yet. And so, so Marlowe has some information 
but he doesn't have all the information. And so essentially what he's, he's on a search to find out more information about what happened to Jim. And so, so in this chapter, Marlowe writes that he searched for and found a scoundrel named Brown in Bangkok who could fill in the details of the end of Jim's story. Now, essentially, he finds him just hours before he dies. So this guy is dying. On, he's on his deathbed, and Marlowe finds him, and he finds him uh, because of he had had a previous visit to um, the, the, this, uh, well, where Stein lived, to Sam, Samarang. So eight months earlier than this, you know, he, he, goes to, he goes to see Stein, and guess who's at Stein's? You've got Tam, I Tam, or Jim's security guard is there, and Jewel is there. And there's also, there is a Patterson Malay trader there. And so, so when Marlowe walk, you know, when he rocks up to see Stein, he goes, what are you people doing here? And then he finds Jewel, all right, at the same time. So, so uh, it, it, again, it's just, it, it's really a great technique for getting us reinterested to finish the book <laughs> because it's such a long book. But anyway, um, you know, essentially, uh, Marlowe starts telling us about Brown and how he interrelates with Jim. And uh, uh, when, when uh, Marlowe finds Brown, now he, he doesn't tell us everything even after Brown, he skips back and forth. So Brown only tells him so much. Brown says he looked at Jim and he called him a stuck-up beggar. And uh, Brown also reveals the depths of, of cunning in Cornelius. That's what he does at this point. All right. And I just wanted to tell you that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, uh, I will continue our discussion of Lord's Jim. And we're getting closer to the end, so it's time you get your Kleenex out. It is rather late to buy Lord Jim, but if you have not read the book, it's a great book to read and reread. You can buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may be also able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore, and of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.